welcome to the Real Wolf Record Club. I am your host, Joe, and with me, as always, is the Real Wolf Record Club panel, Hannah and Ben. We, <laughs> you're getting sick of me saying this. Uh, we have a great show today. Classic. A classic show, in fact. I'm going to go ahead and predict that early on. This is going to be a classic episode of the Real Wolf Record Club. Five years from now, they're going to say this was the one. This is where they really got good. Because it's one where we talk about one of the greatest pop albums of all time. Uh, some have called it the greatest breakup album of all time, which, as you'll see, could be interpreted in a number of ways. It was an album of the year at the Grammys in 1977 with its four singles all charting in the top 10. The song Dreams was a number one single. It also came back, and Hannah and I talked about this. I don't know if we got it right, but it TikToked for a while in like the last few years where people were drinking, was it Ocean Spray, Hannah? Yeah, that? I think it was Ocean Spray. <laughs> it's like an old guy skateboarding Ocean Spray and that song. Uh, this record has sold 40 million records worldwide. It was certified platinum 20 times in the U.S. alone. But here's the thing that's fascinating to me. In 1977, when it came out, uh, the album sold 10 million records within a month of its release. 10 million records in a month. That's like 3,000 a day or something. Something like that. <laughs> But what makes this album so powerful alone isn't just the pop appeal, the great songs, the number that it's sold, but maybe, maybe from the fact that four of its five members in the band were in a relationship at varying stages or post relationship with another member of the band at the time it was being made. Uh, ben, would, ben what, what is this my theory? My theory of great albums? Pressure. Contents under pressure. Contents under pressure. Pressure makes diamonds theory of music. And of course, that can only mean we are talking about the one, the only Rumors by Fleetwood Mac. Woo! Classic episode coming up because our guest is also today. She's the founding artistic director of the Ferocious Lotus Theater Company in the San Francisco Bay Area, is a director, producer, executive coach and performing actor with theaters, productions, companies, organizations around the country from coast to coast. She is a 2016 YBCA 100 honoree as an artist who is a creative pioneer, making the provocations that will shape the future of culture. I just wish somebody would say that about me someday. Holy cow. And the current artistic director of Theater Moo the second largest Asian American arts organization in the United States. Our guest is Lily Tung Crystal. Welcome to the Real Wolf Record Club, Lily. Hi, everybody. Ah, Lily, so much going on here. You are the artistic director for Theater Moo here in the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, Minnesota area. Um, I have to imagine that we're coming out of the weirdest two years <laughs> to be a performing artist in, in in recent memory how how has it been how have you been how have you gotten through it it has been a very weird time and i started at theater moo in august of 2019 so i only had six months of sort of pre-pandemic life before <laughs> the pandemic came and changed everything and uh, i was in a new city in a new you know with the new company and how did we survive you know i we, we did a lot of virtual theater. I mean, we, we did, we did a lot of virtual theater. I think that helped our, our community of artists and our community of Asian American um, audiences from all over the country and around the globe to really engage with us. We, we did this show called Mutini Hour, which was a 90 minute 
um, like live talk show that I hosted with some of the, you know, most amazing theater makers from around the country and from Minnesota. People could, it was live and people could engage with us in the chat. And so people were coming in like from all over the world to mm. engage with us. And one of our shows was Leia Salonga, the Tony winning actress, singer, and um, Jay Quo, who wrote the Broadway musical Allegiance, and then George Takei, who is George Takei. And so it's <laughs> a social media, ha- you know, George Takei is like, got the social media down. Um, mm-hmm. And so we had like 120,000 views for that show. Oh so like, I always joke it, like more people saw that show in one night than saw our work in like five years combined. Wow. <laughs> because, you know, wow. theater by nature is a local construct. Mm-hmm. And so and so um, when he couldn't, so, you know, your numbers are small when you're talking about like having to be in person to see the work. And because we were forced to be, you know, because we were forced to be virtual, it, 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 it was, a, it was, a, it was a, it sucked, but also <laughs> there was opportunity to keep doing work, keep employing our artists, keep telling Asian American stories and, and reach this this such a such a bigger audience than we've ever had before so we did that show and we did um something called moon mondays where where asian american uh asian american theater artists would get together and read plays by asian american writers and that was a casual sort of salon online and we did a family show teaching kids and their families about theater arts and then we started doing like artistic work. So we did several play festivals, uh, festivals of short plays. We did a 20, we called the 25 hour play festival where people had to, 30 Asian American artists got together and wrote, rehearsed and presented six short plays in 24 hours online. And then we did a fully produced and designed main stage virtual production where we had live cameras going in six different locations with six different actors from around the country. And we had a live stream producer who would take whatever camera was was necessary at the time. And then it was it all happened in real time live. Mm-hmm. It was like running a, an awards show or a sporting event. And we, we did this play in the virtual space that was, like I said, had like five designers on it, had a streaming producer, six different actors in different spaces around the country. And it was, it was a lot. I mean, it was, yeah. it was, it was, um, we call it our film theater production. It was, it was a play called Today's My Birthday by Susan Sunhi Stanton. And it was about people who couldn't be in space together, even in the theater production in person, the, the characters are never in space together. And so it was really about trying to connect without being together, which was really what the pandemic was, which is why we chose this play, we programmed this play and did it in this virtual space because it lent itself very well to the virtual environment where we weren't, we couldn't touch each other, but we still wanted to do work together. So, I mean, I think for, for a theater maker, not being able to do work in person and not being able to be with people is like death. I mean, it really is. And so we did whatever we could to have those touch points, touch points as much as, as much as possible in the environment that we we were left with. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that about the the importance of connection because you know as we before recording we were talking about kind of the genesis of this show was that we were four friends and, and Ryan our good friend had a baby recently so he's not with us tonight but um, we were four friends who 
we're missing each other. And in a very, very basic fundamental way of just talking about things that bind us, whether it be the arts or music or sports or kids or whatever's happening. And so we started connecting and talking and it just continued. And we realized very quickly that this was something that uh, we wanted to share that we thought, you know what, our love of music is something that binds us and maybe it'll bind others together. And that's where this show came in. Um, what did you learn about? What did you learn about whether it be the importance of art or the, the importance of being in person or, or the idea that you could do it a different way from all this? Because it sounds like this was an ongoing, almost like a laboratory, like you're trying different things to see what works, what resonates and what doesn't. I think we learned all of the above. You know, we learned that we want to be in person. We learned that there was an opportunity to do virtual work that was meaningful and impactful. And we learned that it was, it was more important to us to innovate and think outside the box and continue to build community, continue to, to employ our, our artists which was super important because artists basically, performing artists basically got their livelihood take, taken away from them during the pandemic for the most part. So while a lot of arts institutions stopped doing work, it was important to us to continue to support the, the art and the artists. And um, I think that we also learned that art can live in the most unexpected places mm -hmm. and that and that when one can be, or one staff can be flexible and adaptable and creative, then beautiful th one can create beautiful things um, in, in unexpected places. I also think, you know, it was especially important to us because, you know, we serve the Asian American community primarily. I mean, all sorts of people come to our shows, but we serve the Asian American community as a focal point. And it was important to our community to have this space to gather and nurture each other and support each other and to commune together because the rise in anti-Asian violence that has been happening in the last, you know, anti-Asian violence has occurred for since there were Asian Americans, but it, you know, it, it rose in the last two or three years. And, and so I think it was especially important for our community to be able to have those spaces to gather and connect because there were, you know, psychologically and physically, we didn't feel we we didn't feel safe in all those in all the outside spaces, mm -hmm. and there was a need to to talk about it and to to really like unpack that trauma and to take care of each other, mm -hmm. and and art, you know, what better way than than art to take care of each other? Now that we're back in person, we've done two shows in person. And a much as man of God, and then Lauren East Cambodian rock band, and I—I I mean, I'm so grateful. We're all so grateful to be back in person, mm -hmm. and we're also grateful that, like, I don't want to go back to virtual. Only doing virtual theater. I mean, I think there are parts of it that we might keep and continue to do, but I—I um, I think I think we learned that even though we don't want to go back. 100% of virtual theater and our, you know, our joy lies in in-person theater that we're grateful that we, I guess, took advantage of the space that was given us and, and continue to grow community and audiences globally. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were people coming in from China, from the Philippines, from England, like, I, I can't, I don't know the exact numbers, but there was dozens and dozens of countries that were, mm -hmm. were tuning into our work. And I also want to thank you asked like what got us through it. And I think, 
I also just want to thank our amazing staff and artists, board members, and the audiences and supporters who just really came forward and like showed up for us mm-hmm. so that we, so that they wanted to be sure that we would continue and survive. And we not only did that, but we thrived. And, and so I'm really grateful, especially to the staff for kind of leading us through that time. You've talked about, you mentioned art as being a, a, a vehicle or medium to take care of each other and enduring a, a, <laughs> a world in the last two and a half years where if you can do anything, it's take care of each other at these point at this time. What's art's role going forward? I mean, you've just learned that. You've just learned art can be a way to take care of each other. Now that we know those things and now that we know those challenges, what's art's role going forward, especially for the Asian American community? I think art is still going to be an important part of our lives in terms of the Asian American community, but across the board, I mean, in terms of all Americans, because it's it's a place where we find our humanity, that we can empathize with each other, that we can learn about other you know people from other communities and marginalized communities and that we can really understand what it means to be american and what it means to take care of each other and to and to share each other's stories i think in terms of the asian american community it's especially important because with we believe that one of the reasons for the rise of anti-asian violence is because our stories are just not told enough on film in theater on stage in television and when our stories aren't told widely enough, then it's easy for others to see us as other or to see us even as subhuman. Mm-hmm. And it's only when we take the responsibility as storytellers to give voice to those narratives, to, to give voice to our communities, that people will look at those stories and, and see us for the true Americans that we are. Because I think there's been this perception in the American zeitgeist that if you come from another place or you look a little different or um, you you know you look like you're from Asia, then you must be an outsider. That you're not truly American, and mm-hmm. and a lot of that is because when we when we turn on the television, when we watch film, we don't see those leading um, those leading actors who are who are Asian American, and we don't see our stories told. And so if our stories aren't out there, then people don't know who we are, and mm-hmm. and will consider to con- will con- continue to consider us as other. And so I think art is very important, especially for our community. Um, but you know, it's interesting because during the pandemic, um, there was so much discussion about essential workers and, and what was essential. And but you, if you talk to anyone who was trying to survive the pandemic and just be, you know, have some sense of wellness during the pandemic and miss so much grief and suffering, you know, most people turn to art, like they read books. They um, they watched started movies. a podcast. They started a podcast. <laughs> um, they they uh, listened to music. Um, they watch Netflix. They're, like mm-hmm. everybody turned to art, and so that argument that art's not important is just not. It's not a valid. It's not a valid argument. It ignores people, reality, it, the lived experience. Right, right. I mean, people say it's not necessary, but it. it I mean, this. If anything, this past two years showed us is that art is important and that art is necessary and art helped us take care of each other and nurture ourselves and like feed, feed each other and feed ourselves and feed our souls and, and survive like with our, you know, with as much mental health as possible this, this time. Yeah. You, you talk about, I think an important topic, we've talked about it on the show um, with some of our guests, this idea of being seen and having voices heard and stories told Theater Moo is featuring this year the art, or excuse me, the photography of Corky Lee. 
um, who who did so much to to kind of feature the history of Asian American, what it means to be an Asian American in America. What what are you accomplishing with that kind of featuring his work? So in the last few years, we featured an Asian American leader as sort of our beacon in um, in thematically organizing the season. And we've we featured Yuri Kochiyama, who was a social activist and political leader. And we featured oh, Grace Lee Boggs, another social activist. And, and then this year we featured Corky Lee, who was a late photo- Asian American photographer who really chronicled the Asian American community and Asian American stories for the last like half a decade. I mean, mm. sorry, half a century. He, he died uh, during the pandemic of COVID, I think. And by, by featuring his work or celebrating his work and the history of images that he created about the Asian American community, our theme is also seeing ourselves. And so when we see ourselves as part of the narrative of America, as part of those images, as part of daily life in America, then, um, I mean, representation matters. It, it, mm-hmm. What it does, it, it, shows, it shows ourselves and our children that we're part of the story of America. That we that that this country cannot um, tell its complete story without us, and I think when images are so powerful, and you know, theater is also not only a textual art form but a visual art form, and so when we see ourselves in pictures, when we see ourselves on stage, it uh, it it shows us it it confirms with us how important our stories are, and I can't tell you how many how many Asian American young people. And a lot of artists, but also other Asian American people who do other types of work have come to a theater moose show and said, this is the first time I've seen my story on stage. This is the Mm -hmm. first time that I've seen myself on stage. We watch so much television and film that's probably white. And so we need to sort of, we're often forced or asked to navigate those stories through the white lens that to be able to go into a space and be with all Asian people on stage or to watch an Asian American story on stage for the first time is so meaningful because it says to oneself, wow, like I matter, like Mm -hmm. I'm part of that story as well. And I don't have to look through another person's lens to understand the story. What got you into the arts? I mean, was this, this something that you felt innately that this is a way I can be seen, or this is a way I can help others be seen, or, or how did you come to be a performing artist? That's so interesting. Um, so I, I, I've been interested in the arts from a very young age and I have my mother to thank for a lot of that. She is, a, she's an amateur dancer, but she's a, she's a, she was a really good dancer. Um, doesn't dance much anymore, but she actually competed as a dancer for a little while and she loved the arts and would show me, you know, she'd watch movies at home and she'd take me to the theater. And when I was very young, like five or six, we had this man, we had this fireplace and we had a, a raised mantle. And so it was like a foot and a half off the ground. And so I would stand on this mantle <laughs> and use the, the screen. You know how you have a fireplace screen? Yeah. Pulley? So I'd use the end of the pulley as my microphone and <laughs> oh I'd stand on the stage and sing. And my mom saw this and she said, well, I, I guess she likes to sing. And so she got me into singing lessons at a very young age and piano lessons. I came into theater through singing and I was a singer first. So I started singing and then my grade school, I went to parochial school for eight years. Um, (laughs) You and Hannah both. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> we can have another conversation about that. Um, <laughs> so I went to parochial school from first to eighth grade and and I think in fifth grade, our school started doing spring musicals. So then I started doing that. And because I was a singer, if that was sort of a natural entryway for me into theater. And then once I did that, I was hooked. So I, mm-hmm. I, um, I, you know, I did straight plays. I did musicals. Most of my young life, I did musicals. But then as I continued to grow as an artist, I started acting more. And, um, and then at some point, you know, I, I wasn't, I was an artist. I was a theater. I, I did theater in high school, but you might, I mean, as you might imagine, it's, it was difficult, especially when I was growing up for BIPOC artists to really get cast. And um, my mom was also, even though she pushed me to be in the arts, she also, you know, was one of those Asian moms that was like, you have to get, you know, you have to get good grades and your grades are more important. And, and so I really never thought of a career in the arts as a, like as a serious endeavor. And so I became a journalist. I was a journalist for many years, worked in China as a foreign correspondent and still did theater on the side. And, and then when I moved back to the US, I lived in San Francisco when I moved back and I really missed doing art. So I started singing more. I started doing community theater. And just as the years went by, I eventually turned professional. I joined Actors' Equity, the Actors' Union, joined SAG. And by that time, it was still hard to get cast as an Asian American yeah. actor. Still is sometimes. Right. So what I did was a friend of mine and I, his name is Leon Gertzen. We started our own Asian American theater company, and our goal was to give a home to Asian American to professional Asian American artists because a lot of artists were starting to work in the Bay Area. A lot of Asian American theater artists, but then they didn't have a home there once they turned to Equity. So our goal was to give work to Equity actors, professional actors. And we started Ferocious Lotus. And, and I think like you asked, did I get into the arts so that I could give people a voice? And I, I feel like I became a social activist kind of by accident. Mm-hmm. Like I, if you would ask me when I was 20 or you know, 15, 20, 25, even if I saw myself as a social activist, I would say not at all. I mean, I never, I didn't really, like I grew up in a very white neighborhood. Um, most of my friends growing up were white. Most of my friends in college were white. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I, I started getting more serious about theater that I saw the lack of opportunity and sort of the, the lack of equity in casting and other hiring practices in theater that we, you know, we started this organization and, and we started it because we wanted to work more. Like we wanted to do mm-hmm. our own work. We wanted to work more in theater as minority artists. And so, and, and then I just got kept getting called to like, okay, will you be on this EDI panel? Will you be on this anti-racism panel? Will you talk about like representation in the arts? And and it was kind of surprising to me. I said, okay, I mean, I'm just an artist, like I'm just an actor. Um, yeah. I happened to lead this company, but like that was also not in the cards. Like I never thought that I would start an Asian, I never thought that I would start or lead a theater company. I remember when my when my friend said, oh, let's start a theater company. I was like, no way. Like, I'm not doing that. That's not, I just want to act. Like, I don't want to lead anything. And and I and I started that theater company like I was wanted to start an actors group and we met and then, and then Asian American theater company offered us space to do a show. And if you know anything about theater venue is like the most expensive line item. So mm-hmm. we're like, if, if somebody is giving us space then we, we should do a show. And so then by default, we became Ferocious Lotus theater company and I became a theater leader. And um, that was the same year that I had my son. It was 2010. I had, 
I bore my son in 2009 and then we, we bore the theater company in 2010, <laughs> less than a year later. And if you had told me that I would in the same year birth a theater company and a child, I would say, no way. Like, <laughs> I'm not doing that. Um, but that's what happened. And it was sort of by accident that I just kept answering questions about, you know, representation and equity and all the things. And then, and then I became a more, as the years went on I, and I became more activist, I guess in my old age, um, I, 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 then it became very important to me to, to, you know, I, I really believe like the, all, you know, the high tide lifts all boats. And there was so much, because there were so few opportunities, there was a lot of competition amongst um, artists from marginalized communities, uh, you know, to get cast and all the things. And you'd go to auditions and like, you would look, you know, sideways at each other, like, oh, who's my, who's my competition in this audition room? And I didn't want to do art that way anymore. Like I wanted to, I felt like the more, more, the more, more is more. Like if, if one person lifts up, then it lifts everybody up. Mm -hmm. And so, so then it became very important to me to create opportunities, not only for myself, but for the Asian American theater community at large. And I could do that on a much smaller scale in the San Francisco because my theater company was much smaller. But when I had the opportunity to come to theater Moo, it was like I had, I was given the opportunity to, to do my life's work on a larger scale. And, um, and it that really excited me. So mm. I think I got into the arts because, I mean, I got into the arts for selfish reasons, like, cause I really just loved to perform and I wanted to be on stage and I wanted to be a star, but then it shifted into really into the, the, the fact that art is politics. Mm -hmm. And um, I think there's, there's some uh, argument about whether art is politics, but I would argue that all art is politics. So, mm. yeah. Well, and, and listeners uh, buried deep within um, Lily's history and background in the arts, you will note longtime listeners of the real wolf record club that she is likely the third guest on our show who has number one, not mentioned her dad as an inspiration, as a performer, <laughs> as always the mom. And number two, uh, has clearly annoyed the crap out of her family members by a young performance age. <laughs> We had another guest who was talking about standing on the on her porch performing lights, and then you were on the mantle and all this stuff. I'm I'm sensing a pattern that uh, <laughs> mothers have a strong influence in their children's lives, and also that those kids who are going to be actors. You can see them from a mile away. So <laughs> well done, Lily. Um, <laughs> so one thing I always like to ask uh, performers and artists is is you know walk me through. And whether if you were in a rock band, I'd ask you the same thing. Walk me through uh, the a day in the life of an actor or a performer, because it, it could be any day. I see, you know, <laughs> listeners, she she just shrugged and said, oh, my gosh, what a question. Um, but I, I, I you go see the plays, you go see the performances and it seems so effortless, so polished, so natural. Even the little things that happen that you can kind of tell. I think that was ad libbed. It it works. So tell me like and then they do shows for like six weeks like every night that's like 200 days like, or whatever <laughs> i mean what like walk me through what's it like to be an actor in a in a regular performance that's ongoing and all that goes into it right yeah um well first of all i want to say because you said i'd ask you this if you're in a rock band too i have been in a rock band and was a was a singer and what what one reason why i chose the album that i chose by the way oh, um yeah and we can talk about that when we talk about yes. that but um yeah, because like like I said, I came through theater through music, right through singing, and uh, was headed rock bands for for um, a period of time in my twenties. But um, 
you know, the day in the life of an actor, I mean, I, no, I think like no two days are the same, but <laughs> I, I can tell you, you know, if I was kind of trying to, if I could try to condense everything into one day, like you might wake up usually later in the, in the morning because actors stay up late because they're performing until like 10, 1030. But so you might wake up a little later. Um, you would, you might have booked an audition so you get all camera ready and go to your audition, whether it's for a play or for a TV show or for a film that your agent probably sent you to. So you go and you do that audition. So, and it's one audition out of many, 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 many through your life. So actors, like we always say like interview more than anybody else. Cause it's mm-hmm. constantly interviewing like other professions. You do one interview and then you're in that job for, you know, 10 years or 20 years, whatever, but actors, they have to do auditions like, almost at least weekly, usually more, especially if you're, you know, you're, you're in a certain market. And so you probably woke up, did an audition and then looked at your lines. If you're in a play, looked at your lines. And, um, if you, if you were in a play and rehearsing, you'd probably get to the rehearsal space. Cause if you're a professional actor, you're often, those hours are often like regular work hours. So you mm-hmm. might work from like 10 to six or, you know, 12 to eight or whatnot. So you get to the theater and do eight hours of rehearsal and do that for, you know, 40 hours a week for four to five weeks. Um, in our, in our situation, we're doing, we were doing Cambodian rock band recently and we, we had a six week rehearsal process. So that was almost 40 hours a week for mm-hmm. five, five, six, for six weeks. And now, and then they had like a seven week run. Um, so you, you go into rehearsal and you, you know, there's several different processes in the rehearsal room. Like you start with doing table work where you read the play around a table and then talk about the play and analyze the text and what the, what it means to you as your character. And then you get up on your feet and you stage the thing. And then you memorize your lines and you keep staging, you keep honing, things keep changing until, and then you go into tech rehearsal, which is when all the elements come together. So it's not only actors in a room with a director, but it's all the elements like sound, set, props, lights, and costumes, and sometimes projections, and all those tech elements come together. So you work all the tech cues um, from cue to cue. It's it's really, really time consuming and very tedious. And then, and your time, it's, it's for the designers and the stage manager, it's not for the actors. So you might go through, you know, five to seven or 10 days of tech, and then you open the show. You know, a show is good when it looks effortless, but the the downside of that is people think it's effortless. Right. It's, and it's not like acting is super, doing theater is one of the hardest activities you can do. Like it is not easy with, with you know, with, with limited budgets. And I mean, you're literally in rehearsal for like six weeks straight and then getting 30 people together to create art um, in different departments and do something collaboratively that will culminate in a cohesive production that you hope covers all the themes, is entertaining and affects people and impacts people. So, so you might go through that rehearsal. And then if you're in performance, then it's a little bit easier because you've done all rehearsal, you have more time yourself. And then you come, you show up at the theater at like six o'clock, you know, um, do your exercises, uh, do your fight call. Cause if there's fights, then you have to like, make sure every night you have to do a fight call to make sure everyone's safe. Fight call. Yeah. Like if there's a fight scene in a play. Correct. Yes. Like you practice it backstage. On stage. Oh my God. 
So, so the movie <laughs> fight, like, okay, for instance, for Cambodian rock band, we had a fight choreographer, Annie Annie King, amazing, um, amazing fight choreographer. So she would come in, you know, once or twice a week for six weeks, also almost every day in tech. And then before every, before every performance, you have fight call. And so for 15 to half an hour, to 15 minutes to half an hour, um, for 15 minutes to half an hour, you, you get on stage and there's a fight captain who just makes sure everybody's safe. And then you run the fight so that everyone's wow. safe. Because if somebody, if it's not practiced or, or done precisely, then someone can get hurt. Yeah. Because even though you're not hitting each other, you're still making fish, you're still making movement, right? With your body yeah. that can be pain, that can be harmful. So you run the fights, um, you put on your makeup, you put in your costume, you do your, your exercises. If you're in a musical, you, I, I do my scales backstage. Like I practice mm. my singing, I do my breathing exercises. And then it's, and then you, someone calls places and you go to the stage and you do your track. Everybody, every actor in the show has a different track. Is that the, is that the most, you've been a performer, producer, director, after all that is the most satisfying when you go to your places or when you take the final bow? Yes, you can only pick one. <laughs> so many decisions on this show. <laughs> You're very, very demanding on this Very demanding. <laughs> um, I, I, did, I think my favorite part is neither places nor bow. I think my favorite part is a, the, a moment in the show when I feel complete like affinity with the audience that like on a soul level, I'm completely aligned with the audience that we are together having a spiritual experience with the art. And that might be a scene that's really important to me or that I love or a song mm -hmm. that, um, that, you know, is a favorite, like my favorite song in a show, maybe that, uh, that my character sings. If, if I feel like totally in the pocket and it's some sort of otherworldly experience where it's another force where you know that you're, you're embodying and communicating a song in a way that touches everybody um, or most people in the room and that you're all in a place together. That, that to me is my favorite part of acting. Yeah. And as a, as a viewer, as somebody who's seen plays and musicals, Hannah's seen far more than I have, but that is a real moment too. If you're watching and paying attention, that happens in a good show, it happens for sure. Um, everything you just said, though, in that last answer sounds very, very Stevie Nixian. So, how did you first? <laughs> you were a true? singer in a rock, you were a singer in a rock band. How did you encounter uh, Rumors by Fleetwood Mac? What made you want to talk about that album? It's interesting because I I don't know if this album is my favorite album. Like there, I have other albums on my like mm -hmm. on my Desert Island albums. You know how everyone has yeah. their like if you could pick three albums what to take to a desert island what would they be and so i have those three which aren't is they aren't actually this one this one is on that list but i chose this album because of because you talked about wanting to talk about my work and and i think this album of of the albums that i looked at on the top 500 really had an influence on my work as an artist and i first came across this album I have, I have siblings who are much older than me. So my brother and my sister, Fred and Sarah, hi everybody. Um, they're 10 and a half and nine and a half years older than I. So they were in high school when I was, you know, three, four, five, six. You and Hannah are like living the same life. Okay. <laughs> same thing. I was like the twerpy, you know, brat that they had to bring around with them when they were like doing their cool high school things. 
so um so they so they were listening to this music when i was growing up and i think one of them had the the vinyl they had the the record of flu my dreams and i remember so distinctly like i think stevie nicks is like in a black mm-hmm. like airy kind of dress and mm-hmm. uh, mick fleetwood is like standing and um i remember that cover so well from when i was like five or something and and so so they had the album so i used they used to listen to it and so i would listen i imbibed a lot of their music and most of it was mm-hmm. classic rock because of the time and so that's when i first l- learned about the, the album and loved it so much even as from a young age because as you as you know like i wanted to be a singer and so mm-hmm. and so i was like singing along with those albums and then i kind of forgot about that album for a while and then when I got to college, I sang in a rock band. I sang in like a acoustic rock band that would play like the local college town bars. And we we're called Bones of Contention. Ooh. And um, <laughs> we did a lot of covers. We did some, yeah. some uh, originals, but mostly covers. And one of the songs we did was Gold Dust Woman. Oh. And, um, and I think we did a couple other Fleetwood Mac songs, but I can't remember now what they were. I do remember Goldust Woman. And the, the album is so, there's like every album on that, every song of that album is tremendous. Like mm-hmm. it's, it doesn't have, there's not like a bad one in the bunch. And um, it was really the soundtrack of, of my, like my generation growing up um, or a little bit after, um, because I, again, I grew up with older siblings. And so it was really mm-hmm. their album, but then or their anthem, but then I kind of like, went along for the ride. And I really felt like I wanted to choose Fleetwood Mac because I felt like this album taught me how to be a singer and how to sing in a rock band. Like mm. all, all the other albums were, were a uh, male led. And I love how this album, like I could really, it taught me that like you could be a woman and still be a rock star. Yeah. And, and I yeah. think there's very few albums like that. You know, when you listen to it, it's not like, you don't think like, oh my God, it's the most innovative music, but the the way they were able to combine melody with songwriting and lyrics and harmony and and do it all so perfectly yet simply is mm-hmm. I think an art an art work in itself. That yeah. that that it has the simplicity about it and this such this this bare honesty about it that um is hard to create in an artistic environment. I think that's what we all want to do, right? We want to create art. We want to create honest, simple, um, impactful work. And I feel like that's what this album is. Yeah. Pain into beauty. Fleetwood Mac rumors. That's uh, Lily Tongue Crystal. I think you've brought us, um, incidentally enough, that we're talking about rumors to our favorite part of the interview portion of the Real Wolf Record Club, which is Ched Talk. But this week, it's a special edition. It's Ched Talk rumor has it edition lily tongue crystal are you ready to play ched talk here on the real wolf record club i think so i'm a little scared (laughs) uh lily i'm gonna ask you uh who are you playing for here on ched talk oh i'll play for theater moo Theater Moo. Uh, check us out on the website. Uh, we've got some great links there. And one of the ways is you can support all of our guests and all of their great works. Uh, there'll be links there. Theater Moo is one of them. Go to that website, support them. Uh, Lily, Tom Crystal, Ched Talk begins now. Rumor has it 
that Lily Tongue Crystal is an accomplished actor on stage and screen and that actors without fail are superstitious. What is one superstition or routine that you have before every show? <laughs> I framed it in a way that you can't deny. <laughs> what, what, was I, what do I do before every show? Um, well, this is like, this is a little bit embarrassing, I guess. I have this exercise that I do. How it should be done is you should be lying down with like in a safe space on your own, but because like you don't always have like a, in a private space, what I do is I do, it's, it's sort of like a tantrum. I like throw a tantrum. So I like, I like beat my fist and I like, I like, and I scream, like do a primal scream, like a silent primal scream. And it's really weird. And my, uh, one of my friends who was in a show with me um, called Interstate at Mixed Blood Theater, which was, we closed down early because of the pandemic. Um, Meredith Casey, she saw me do that once and she was just like, what the heck? Like, what are you doing? Are you okay? And I think she still remembers that moment. She's like, what, what? And I'm like, it's one of the exercises. She's like, okay, whatever. It's all part of the process. <laughs> yeah. It's all part of the process. I don't think anyone else does that, only me. Ah, love that. Well, if anyone uh, has a video of that, we'd love to share it on social. Um, rumor <laughs> has it that Prosecutor Lee from the Tony Award winning Chinglish is your favorite role to have played. What is your least favorite role? Oh, God. <laughs> you can't throw a tantrum out of this one. So, uh, I, I, this might get me in trouble, um, but I don't think I'll ever play this role again. Maybe I don't know. Maybe if it was done differently. But I think Bloody Mary in South Pacific is a role that I would want to shelve. And I think it should be shelved for a while. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you know that play, musical, but, uh, you know, Bloody Mary is a very sort of stereotypical, like Asian. Mm -hmm. It's like a stereotype of an Asian character. Yes. And um, and I played her. And so she has like such beautiful songs she sings. She sings Ballet High. She sings um, Happy Talk. And, and so there's some great things about that character. But I think that I felt a lot of discomfort playing that character mm -hmm. because there's just some tokenization and orientalism and stereotypical like Asian-y things in it that I don't, I don't think I want to play again. Mm. Unless it was done in a different way or somebody like reimagined that musical in a very innovative way then I might consider doing that role again. Mm. Third question here on Ched Talk. Uh, rumor has it that Rumors by Fleetwood Mac is the greatest breakup album of all time. What is your favorite breakup album or song of all time? I love, you know, one song I love is Wasted Time by the Eagles. Mm. Oh. Mm. I don't know if you know that song. Yeah. It's on yeah. Hotel California. Mm -hmm. um, but it's all about breaking up and losing love and wondering if all the time you spent on that love is wasted. Mm. I think it's a something, it's, it's heartbreaking. You know, it's something we all wonder about it's like i spent five years with this person or two years or six months but if it's the longer it is and and there's a breakup at the end it's wondering like oh my god did i waste the last five years of my life on this person mm. which i think is heartbreaking but i also think that it's not true that it's wasted time i think every everything that we do has a purpose and there's a reason for everything and that you know there's learnings and everything and mm -hmm. that even if the person isn't the is even if that person isn't the person you, you end up with as your life partner, 
you learn something from that person that helps you in your next relationship or in your relationship with yourself. Definitely. Um, rumor has it that you are a leadership coach and consultant, consultant in a variety of capacities. You can give one piece of advice to an aspiring artist, but you can only do it in five words or less. What is it? She's counting off her hands right now. <laughs> okay. I, I can do it in five words or less. All right. You are enough. Oof. Oof. Powerful stuff. Final question here on Ched Talk. Rumor has it edition. Rumor has it that in an alternate reality, you get to cast Stevie Nicks in a production for which you are the director. How do you use Stevie? Imagine it. She, you're, you're producing, you're working, you're whatever, you know, you're sitting in the audience auditorium, you and two lackeys at a table with the lamp and there's people walking up on stage and like, all right, read your lines. Cause that's what TV has taught me. Auditions look like. <laughs> and it out walks Stevie Nicks. What show are you producing? How do you use her? So I don't know if I would cast her this way ultimately, but I am directing a play called The Humans at Park Square Theater that's mm -hmm. opening in mid-September. And there's a role for an older white woman um, as playing the mother in this. It's like a, it's a family dramedy where um, a family descends on this, this NYC apartment uh, that's, that's rented by the youngest daughter and, um, and and they and the, there's a mother character that that descends on the on the on the on the apartment um, for Thanksgiving. Mm. So because I'm trying to cast that show right now, I would cast her in that show. Because mm. I have I have a production going and I have a role for her and she might be amazing. Um, but if I had if I if I could produce any show in the world, um, I mean I would use Stevie next how she should be used, which is as the goddess singer she is. I mean, maybe, you know what? Maybe it's a show that's um, written with, written written around the Fleetwood Mac Rumors album. Like, mm. you know how they do this album? Like, yeah. Abba, um, Mama oh Mia. Mama Mia, thank yeah. you. Oh my God. Why I do I know that? I don't know why. I'm gonna take, they're gonna take away my theater card because I couldn't remember that. <laughs> that um, it can be like Mama Mia or like Moving Out where they, yeah. they build a show around rumors. I think they should do that. I think it's a great idea. And then well, I would cast Stevie Nicks as herself. Uh, Stevie Nicks, if you're listening, uh, Lily Tongue Crystal has what I'm hearing, two roles for you, uh, yourself in <laughs> the reproduction of Rumors by Fleetwood Mac and as human number three in The Humans. <laughs> Her name is- um, <laughs> The um... mother role. <laughs> the mother role from the mothership on the play, The Humans. Oh, Deirdre. Deirdre, Deirdre. Deirdre is her name, the name of the character. Yes. I mean, I'm, I would buy to work with Stevie Nicks. Oh my God. Like, like I said, like, you know, that album, she, they, the band taught me like how to harmonize, how to be a mm -hmm. rock star, how to be a woman, a confident woman, like fronting a band. Like, yeah. Lily, uh, it is our hope our, and our sincere belief that the Real Wolf Record Club will launch many, many tandems just like that one stevie nicks and lily tongue crystal i'm gonna check the numbers i think 
you have just won Chad Talk here on the Real Wolf Record Club. We're going to take a very, very quick break. We will come right back and talk about Fleetwood Mac rumors with Lily Tongue Crystal. A reminder to follow us on Twitter at RealWolfRC, on Instagram at RealWolfRecordClub. Go to our website, RealWolfRecordClub.com. Check out episodes details about our guests, how to support our guests. You can even buy merchandise on our merch tab from our our one and only Ward Sutton. This is The Real Wolf Record Club. Welcome back to the Real Wolf Record Club. We are here talking with Lily Tongue Crystal from Theater Moo about Fleetwood Mac rumors. And and I want to turn to the panel here uh, because during Ched Talk and her interview with Lily, uh, I asked her uh, the question about her favorite breakup song of all time, breakup song or breakup album of all time. Um, As we know, Fleetwood Mac rumors, great great breakup album um take that any way you want it but um hannah ben i want to know i'm curious what is your favorite breakup song or album of all time for me that's gonna be uh you ought to know by alanis morissette on the jagged little pill album uh that blew 12 year old hannah's mind when that came out um there weren't a lot of women artists uh like her at that time so just like hearing someone like so angry just like really directly you know calling out the wrongdoings of her Mm -hmm. former partner in that song was just like whoa (laughs) and having it and having it be okay and celebrated like i mean that was a huge song and a huge album yeah Um, yeah and that's awesome ben what about you favorite favorite song favorite album breakup album of all time yeah, listeners may not know this, but our host Joe on Lily mentioned her Desert Island albums. One of Joe's Desert Island songs is by an artist by the name of Dave Matthews and Ooh. his band, and the the song is called Satellite. Not the song <laughs> that I'm picking here, but my breakup song is Crash Into Me. But I just Ooh. wanted to throw that little nugget out there for all the listeners that want to send all of their Dave Matthews memorabilia tickets <laughs> etc to our host joe mm, that's a great choice uh I'm, I'm sensing a 90s vibe here because for me uh i don't know if it's technically a breakup song uh but, and it's not necessarily something i listen to a lot but uh the song going away to college by blink 182 it's a coming of age song and i get misty thinking about going away to college that summer and listen to that song a lot. So, um, I, but I bring it up. I bring up the, the breakup album, breakup song, because it's it's obvious. And and Lily, our guest, talked about this. We talked about it at the opening. Um, Fleetwood Mac rumors, four of the five members were at either breakup stage, breaking up stage, or having broken up stage in their relationships with one another. Um, and and as are we'll we, talk... Are we surprised about that? I mean, Christine McVie and John McVie got got married 10 years after they were, or excuse me, 10 days after they were dating. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. It seemed, it seemed destined for failure. Well, and you know, I mean, I don't, I've never been in a a real band, uh, but I would imagine that uh, Lindsay Buckingham and, and Stevie, I mean, this was her second record 
with the group. Um, and, and I, I don't, I don't know the full history. Um, if that came together as, Hey, cause Lindsay was in the band before Stevie, if, Hey, this is my, this is my new partner I'm bringing into the group. If there was friction or what, but yeah, to your point, Ben, uh, there's a lot of pressure and a lot of emotional sparks going on at the time this album is being recorded that I don't know that I'm surprised that there was that going on, but it's just fascinating to know. I mean, I think you can't, it's hard to ignore that this is a breakup album in some way, how it like literally they were breaking up or the songs that they were writing somehow were about breaking up. But, but I think that's an important emotional brush to put on this record is that there's a lot of relationship relationship and romance tension going on um, that, that I think is going to influence a lot of what we see, but, but as we'll see, let's talk a little bit about, I know Lily, this is going to make you crazy because we're going to do it again. Uh, our favorite song on the album. And you're right, Lily. I mean, this is a catalog of songs that how do you pick the peak, the summit of this album, this just absolute monster of an album, but, but we'll start with you, Lily. You have to pick one. You have to say this one song without it, I wouldn't like this album as much. Which song is it? Your favorite song on this record? I, I think I'm going to choose The Chain. Ooh. Mm. What about it do you like? There's a, so a, f- a few reasons. I think it's in many ways the most sort of innovative, interesting song on the album is it's not just like a, well, I shouldn't say not just, but it's, it's less melodic and um, it's less melodic than the other, like straight ahead pop songs and the other songs. Yeah. Um, it's super intense and they do a lot of interesting things with harmony, harmonics and instrumentation. Um, I, and their voices. And I, one reason I like it is because in, in many ways, it's obvious it's a breakup album because everybody has like their song, right? Yeah. Like Lindsay has his song, Stevie has her song, Christine has her song. Um, and they're all about, and the interesting, like you said, it's like, and I read this somewhere, the interesting thing about this album is that they're all writing about each other. So the people who they're singing about are on the actual album. Yeah. Which, it's like a very self-conscious album that way. Um, and I think the story was actually that Mick Fleetwood was looking for a guitarist because his guitarist had like, they had lost a, a series of guitarists and then he met Lindsey Buckingham and loved his guitar playing and invited him to the band. And Lindsey said, I won't join unless you let my girlfriend Stevie Nicks also join. Mm. So that's, I think, how, how she got in the band. Yeah. But, um, but, but uh, anyway, I, I think this is, while, while the other songs are, are, in, are in many ways individual songs, this is the one song on the album, I think, that is equally like a band song. Like everyone yeah. sings on it. Um, and not only um, not only the voices, but also the instrumentation is outstanding. Like the the drum, the rhythm section, like the drum and the bass line is so clear and 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 are given um, front and center. And and the rhythm section of this band is like stupendous. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't get much better than Mick Fleetwood on 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 the drums. Um, and so I I like that it's it's a true group song. It's mm-hmm. true. It's a true ensemble song. And which I think kind of speaks to my sensibilities as an artist, because in theater also, like I love true ensemble work. I love to collaborate and I love I love shows that are, are that are like truly ensemble pieces. And I think this song is the only song on the album that everybody's involved with and I'm both vocally and instrumentally where you can hear everyone so clearly and everyone contributes equally 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the things that makes, whether it's this album or another album that makes music so great and powerful is when you can be transported to a place and this song has such a, and a lot of their songs on this album has such a vibe of nighttime heaviness, darkness somewhere. And there's this kind of that brooding and then the drum kicks in and yeah, I think that makes powerful, powerful, uh, theater if you get your way with Stevie Nicks. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and the, the other thing is the chain, right? The chain, yeah. like the, the theme of it, it's all about like breaking the chain, being one chain. And so again, about the ensemble and how they affect each other. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Hannah, what was your favorite? I know this this album, I, I listeners, I came to this album through Hannah. She's always loved it and full disclosure and now I love it. So Hannah, your favorite song on this record. Oh, Gold Dust Woman, for sure. I love that song. I love Stevie Nicks. Without hesitation. I feel hesitation. like that song, like, if you could somehow, like, turn it into, like, an essence, like, it would be Stevie Nicks. Like, it, it just is, I feel like, a very quintessential, like, representative song. Like, every, like, the, like the lyrics and, like, the sounds in it, like, are just, like, a, a visual of her um mm -hmm. is just an amazing song and i will always love that song we'll see how much you enjoy that song we'll talk about it shortly um with lyrics but now i i envy her choice <laughs> again <laughs> you have I, choice that envy was, that was right Apollo. that was the other contender because i used to sing that song in the band that yeah. i was mm -hmm. in college so yeah love that oh um ben what was your favorite uh song on this record well, I'm I'm right with Hannah, uh, Gold Dust Woman. It's just it it closes out the album, just wonderfully. It's a just a total powerhouse of a song with just layers of mood. And I'm I'm gonna go out there. This is a semi hot take, a lukewarm take. It's the best vocal performance on the album, and uh, it's still still in clinical trials. But I'm pretty sure that Stevie Nicks's voice cures COVID. Ooh. <laughs> oh, that is a theory. Hot take. Um, there's plenty of podcasts who want alternative theories of medicine, Ben. We can set you up for some guest spots there. Um, I'm going to go is. a little, <laughs> I'm going to go a little pedestrian and I say pedestrian because I've already mentioned it, that this, this song, um, it came to be, it wasn't always my favorite song on the album, but it came to be, it was their number one hit off this album. And obviously the album's been huge for so long. And then it kind of had a renaissance in the social media TikTok world where there was all these videos with this song playing. And, and for some reason, people drinking ocean spray. I didn't realize people drank ocean spray. Um, still. Straight out of the jug, man. Sorry, Ocean Spray Incorporated. But um, the song Dreams, I, it's to Ben's point, Ben's mentioned this before. It's not my, it's not the song that makes me the most happy but it's the best song and that's dreams. I just, this song, it is what this album is. When I think of this album, I think of that song and that beat and that just Stevie Nicks. And there's just this mystery to her, her voice, her performance, it all comes together. Um, but I'm going to tell you so far, two, three, we got, we're getting strong, strong gold dust woman vibes here. So I want to turn to our resident lyrical specialist the word nerd and see what she has for us today word nerd tell us what have you got i'm 
I'm going to stick with lyrics from my favorite song on the album, um, Gold Dust Woman. The uh, section that I picked was rock on ancient queen. Follow those who pale in your shadow. Rulers make bad lovers. You better put your kingdom up for sale. If there's any doubt about the creative force that is, you know, Stevie Nicks that made this album go from good to great. Um, Not only does she have like a very signature voice, like when you hear her sing, like, you know, who's singing, but she's also a really great lyricist as well. Just what she's writing about in that song, which I, I believe is heartbreak drugs. and loss and, and drug use to cocaine get drugs. Through I it. think. What's that? Cocaine, cocaine drugs. drugs. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, it's a pretty grisly subject. But the lyrics are like still like mystical and magical. Of course, they're because it's Stevie Nicks. But I just found those, you know, particularly catching. So. There you go for word nerd. Well, but I mean, imagine that too. I mean, handy to your point, the emotions that are in this song. And I originally thought this song, especially these lyrics, you know, you could be, could be metaphor for breakup, romance, you know, heartbreak, loss, something like that. And, and definitely can make a case that they are, but Stevie's given some really interesting interviews about basically saying the other elephant in the room was drug use and how she had seen friends succumb to drug addiction and how she turned that into a story and so she takes drug use turns it into a story writes the lyrics to gold dust woman but does it in a way that can also be viewed from a lens how many years later 45 some whatever years later um as talking about relationships about the people that she might be in with the band and i'm like that is just genius so at this point in the show i mean we've covered breakup we've covered um lily's hatred of multiple questions that require her to choose one thing. <laughs> we have covered <laughs> drug use. We have covered pressure makes diamonds, a lot of heavy stuff. Um, and so naturally we're going to turn to our good friend, Ben, for put it on a playlist. Ben, put it on a playlist. Joe, this is your special weather alert well it's natural progression of topics drug use heartbreak um making lily angry and then weather alerts like a horrible person. I'm not angry. No, no, we're teasing. But but naturally, um, for our listeners who are new to the show, uh, Ben has a very um, interesting take on the world and he loves to put things on playlists. And so Ben is going to loop in weather. Go ahead, Ben. (laughs) Yes, this Joe, this is a special weather alert. These are going to be songs to alert you of impending weather events. It's ominous. It's concerning because as we've learned from Fleetwood Mac, as we've learned from Fleetwood Mac, thunder only happens when it's raining. (laughs) I knew that was coming. Which which word nerd, we know that's the, that those are the best lyrics on this album. (laughs) So we're going to have lightning crashing. We're going to be thunderstruck and we're going to have purple rain. We're going to have red rain. We're going to have November rain. (laughs) <laughs> then we're going to take all that rain 
and set fire to it. Oh, yeah. Because I can't stand the rain, and people. Oh, my God. There's other things that we didn't even think could happen with thunder. We've got sandstorms. We've oh. got, we're going to be rocked like a hurricane. Maybe, oh. maybe even a little snow. Hail. And finally, it's all going to blow away with a little idiot wind. Thank you, Bob Dylan. Yeah. Thank you, listeners, for this very important special weather alert on the Real Wolf Record Club. Um, you know, there's a meme out there where they show the high school football kid and then they say, you know, they really had us in the first half. And it's usually when they say like a joke turns on its head and changes directions that you don't expect. Um, that's what, because when I first heard it, I was like, how, what? Oh, I see where you're going with it. And Lily saw it coming, Hannah saw it coming, but well done, Ben. Um, you can check out all of Ben's scrambled egg brain playlists at realwolfrecordclub.com. We've got a special spot you can click. Uh, you can also find us on Spotify, Real Wolf Record Club. He's got all the playlists. Um, this one was was it was it, it, it uh, the metaphor made sense, um, but there's a lot more on there and it's worth checking out. So we are going to take a very very quick break here on the Real Wolf Record Club. We will come back and give this album our ranking with Lily Tongue Crystal here on the Real Wolf Record Club. Welcome back here on the Real Wolf Record Club. We are closing out our show and our wonderful discussion with our good friend Lily Tung Crystal from Theater Moo. Um, we're going to give this record a ranking and... <laughs> I, we want to give it a ranking because we want you as record buyers and music listeners to know as you're all waiting on bated breath to figure out what it is we're going to say about this album after talking about it being such a great pop album and Stevie Nicks and, and all of her, her power. Um, but I know you're wondering, what are they going to rank it? What are they going to give it? Well, we're going to tell you. And as record collectors ourselves, we go from the record scale of things. Some records are so bad, you bury it. It's no good. Don't want it. Don't keep it. Don't buy it. Um, some of them are good enough you want to borrow it you want to bring it home listen it spin it put it on the platter send it back to your friend um, but sometimes you need to own it and that's a buy it sometimes you want to buy it look at it play it your own but sometimes if you're like me you've bought it again and again and again and that's what i'm going to rank this album i'm going to give this album a buy it again i have owned this album in varying degrees because when you sell 40 million records worldwide including 10 million in the first month um, that means they're, think about this, in 1977, were there cassette tapes yet? I don't think so. There weren't CDs yet. Let's just say that out of 10 million records sold in the first month, a great majority of them are probably vinyl. And so if you are out there buying records, chances are you're going to find a scuffed, beat up copy of Fleetwood Mac Rumors, and you might scuff and beat up your own, and you might need to buy it again, and that's where I'm at. Um, Lily, where are you at? What are you ranking this album? I'm going to say buy it again, and I have bought it again in different formats. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's it's that good. I mean, that's kind of how I feel, too. In an age where streaming CDs, we've been through it all. We've talked about eight tracks and tapes. You're going to own this album in a number of ways. Um, Hannah? What's your ranking of this record? Buy it again, for sure. Fleetwood Mac, I think, was 
probably one of the first CDs I've owned. I loved them for so long. And this album is just incredible. And I think I do and have owned it in more than one format throughout my life. So, yep, buy it again and again mm. and again. <laughs> ben, you get the last word here on Fleetwood Mac rumors. And just listeners note, um, Ben and I come at this at music from the opposite ends of the spectrum. Um <laughs> Ben says I'm an easy grader. I say he's a hard grader. Um, I buy everything, but Ben does too. Ben, what do you got on this one? Well, I recently did an inventory of my vinyl collection and put it on Discogs, a great website, a great service for any of mm. those listeners who want to look at uh, the, the record market, but also there's a nice little library building feature on there. It was both saddening, but also satisfying <laughs> to know that I have a good a good amount of vinyl but saddening that i don't have more uh but in that process i did realize that i do own two copies of fleetwood mac rumors so if i'm going to be honest and speak my truth i'm gonna have to give this one a buy it again because i have done that i think it's because the first one that i bought was a little bit scratched and so i (laughs) bought another one that wasn't scratched on dreams which is i think where somebody kept dropping the needle dropping the needle needle, which makes a lot of sense but that is why you have um one to rock and one to stock or as i like to say one to wear and one to share so pick a friend give them an album that you love and spread the vinyl joy Mm. Well, and I mean, no matter where you rank it, I mean, it's clear it's I we call it the food principle. It's way more fun to talk about food you like than food you don't. And music to me and art is the same way. I'd much rather talk about things that I love. And there's a lot of music that's out there that I don't like, but it's way more fun to find stuff you do like. And it's pretty clear we all love this record. It's a great record. There's so much to take away. Um, and that's what we do here on the Real Wolf Record Club. Try to pull out the fun stuff and maybe help share that joy with you. Uh, we've been lucky. We've been so blessed to all be upright, standing, sitting, healthy somewhere, talking with such a talent like Lily Tong Crystal. Lily, all of our listeners are going to hear this, and they're all going to say, how can I support Theater Moo? How can I check out all the good things that Lily's doing? Where can they find out all, about all the good things you're doing? You can learn more about Theater Moo at theatermoo.org. That's theater with an E-R, M-U.org. And... Yeah, come to our show, sign up for our newsletter that comes almost weekly and you can see the shows that are coming up. Donate, um, you know, if you support our work in telling Asian American stories and increasing representation of marginalized artists on stage, then please support our work. We are, we just finished our run of Cambodian Rock Band by Lauren Yee, which uh, I wish you, I hope some of you saw because it's, you know, we're talking yeah. about rock and roll music and that's a rock and roll show. And um, we have our next, our new season coming up, our 22-23 season. We're actually celebrating our 30th anniversary this summer. Oh, so in just a little while, we're celebrating our 30th anniversary um, at our at our big annual summer party, which is going to be our birthday party this year in August. And then right after that in the fall, we are collaborating with Stages Theater Company and Hopkins to present a theater adaptation of Bao Fee's children's book, A Different Pond. And if you don't know Bao, he, Bao is a very, um, one of you know the local treasures in Minneapolis, St. Paul. He's a, he's a, a Vietnamese American writer, spoken word artist. And he wrote this wonderful 
children's book about his family's experience immigrating to the U.S. and and him growing up here in the Twin Cities. And so we're making that into a play for young people, for children, and that will be premiering at stages in, I think, late September. And and then we're going to announce our, I can't tell you more about our next season. We haven't announced yet. We're going to announce very soon um, our 30th anniversary season, which will include two productions of plays by some of our our most beloved moo playwrights well if you're if you're looking for a media outlet to make breaking news the real wolf record club is always here oh lily (laughs) (laughs) that is so great to hear we love uh here at real wolf record club we support music we love music but we also support the arts and and we're so happy to have had you here listeners please go check out theater with an er moo dot org support lily support theater support arts wherever you live uh this has been the real wolf record club we look forward to talking with you again about all the great music and art that's out there this is the real wolf record club this has been the real wolf record club podcast The Real Wolf Record Club is a production of Real Wolf Productions, LLC, a limited liability company. The show is produced today by Ben Head. Our panelists were Ryan McInnes, Hannah Vantomi, and I'm your host, Joe Vantomi. Follow us and join the club on Instagram at Real Wolf Record Club. On Twitter at Real Wolf RC. Go to our website to find links to the episodes, upcoming news and information, as well as a link to buy merch from our very own Ward Sutton at www.realwolfrecordclub.com. Join us next episode when we discuss the classic 1995 album, What's the Story, Morning Glory by Oasis. Oasis.